All right. Good morning, Christ Church. You're out there, right? Yeah. Hey, good morning. Glad you're here at Christ Church uh, in West. Maybe you're joining us over in East. Uh, glad you're on campus uh, or perhaps joining us online. However it is, we're just glad you're hanging out with us this morning as we continue in our series, uh, You in Five Years. I'm Pastor Bob, one of the pastors here uh, at Christ Church. And uh, we're getting ready kind of to wrap up uh, our series, You in Five Years. So we've got this Sunday and then next Sunday is the final installment of You in Five Years. And uh, even when we started, we kind of, you know, shared with you this is one of those series that kind of builds each week on each other. Uh, and so especially these last two messages, you'll notice it's part one, which means next week's part two. So make sure you're here next week or you're checking in online uh, or going to the archives, whatever works. Uh, remember what we're doing in the series is asking this big question. Uh, what does God want my life to be uh, in five years? And that's the right question. It's not what do I want my life to be in five years. It's what does God want my life to be like uh, in five years. And uh, hopefully in these three weeks that we've been doing this, you've, you've kind of grown and seen the opportunity of how your life can change. Uh, and as we wrap it up now, get ready to wrap it up this week, uh, next week, uh, we're going to assume your life is changing. We're going to assume that you're growing in the person that God wants you uh, to be. And so this week, next week, we're going to give you some, uh, some pitfalls and some uh, opportunities. Uh, and so it's kind of the do's and the don'ts, right? The good news and the bad news, the do's and the don'ts. And uh, I don't know about you, uh, but uh, which do you like uh, first, uh, good news or bad news? Yeah, I'm always a give me the bad news first guy, right? Kind of give me the bad news, I'll, 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 you know, save dessert for later, right? Give me, give me, give me the bad news. And so that's what we're going to do this week is we're going to do the don'ts, right? It's do's and don'ts. We're going to flip it. It's going to be don'ts and do's, right? So we're going to do the, the, the don'ts. So if you're ready to go, here we go. First don't, right? As you're growing into the person that God wants you to be, as you begin to even move even further up the uh, the road there in terms of being that person God wants you to be. Uh, here we go. Number one, don't overestimate your own strength. Uh, don't overestimate uh, your own strength, right? Don't get so full of yourself that you overestimate your own strength to withstand temptation. Uh, it may surprise you, but this is not you, okay? That is not you. I can tell you that. Uh, that is not you, right? And the temptation for us is to think it is, uh, to, to get growing in our faith, get growing into that person God wants us to be. And, and, you know, as God works in our life, I mean, you know, things change, we change, it gets better, our life gets elevated, and it's easy in the midst of that to start filling up on ourselves, right? Saying, wow, what a good person I am, how great am I doing, how wonderful am I? And, and to start getting this conviction going that is centered on, uh, on ourselves. Uh, and we're going to look this week and next week at one of Jesus' disciples in particular uh, to whom this uh, happened. Uh, his name was Peter. Heard of him before, right? One of the foremost of, of the disciples. Uh, and uh, we're going to see how right away he gets full of himself. And we're going to look at the experience uh, of Jesus and Peter, but primarily Peter here, of, uh, in those last days of Jesus' life. Uh, when he is just before he is arrested, right? And so that's what's taking place is he's been in the upper room uh, with his disciples and as that whole experience comes to a close and he starts moving to Gethsemane, he starts telling them about how they're all going to fail. 
right? They're all going to experience failure. And Jesus told them, these, these disciples of his, tonight all of you will desert me. Important to notice the word all there. Uh, all of them, right? And that means none of us as followers of Jesus, none of us are above the opportunity of temptation. We've got to know that. We've got to keep that understanding and let that keep us uh, humble because none of us are above that. This is a message Peter didn't get. It's a message Peter didn't understand because Jesus says this to him, and right away Peter declares, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Okay, first time he says it. Even if everybody, listen, Jesus, those other guys, in fact, there's a couple of them there, I'm sure they're going to desert you, but me, no, uh-uh, I got it together, I'm full of myself, I can handle any temptation that comes my way. Do you get the sense of where he is? Right? He's, he's so confident in himself. Here's the big thing. In our world out there, they promote self-confidence, okay? I don't. Dump self-confidence. That's self-help, self-help stuff. What you need is God-confidence, and there's a huge difference. Self-confidence rests in me. God-confidence rests where? In Him. And that's where our strength, that's where our strength lies. You're going to see this with Peter, right? Jesus replies to Peter. He says, I tell you the truth, Peter. Now, he's taking an oath statement there. He's done this before in his teaching. When he does this in his teaching, he's saying, look, this is a sure thing. Right? This is a take-it-to-the-bank kind of deal. This is a sure thing. Peter, I'm telling you the truth. This very night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times that, that you even know me. Now, Jesus has just made this emphatic truth statement. And how does Peter respond? No, Peter insisted. Second time he denies it. No, listen, Jesus. You have been right about so many things. You have been right every time, every single time. I've watched you. I've listened to you for these three years, and you have been absolutely right every single time. But I'm telling you, this time, you're wrong. This time, you're wrong. I know you're saying it's a true statement, but listen, this time, you're wrong. No, I could never. No, I could never. You get the sense he's so full of himself? Self-confidence, not God-confidence. He says, third time, even if, I die, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same thing. Peter stands up so full of himself three times and says, no, it can't happen. No, it can't happen. No, it can't. I would never, I would never, I would never. And we know the outcome. We'll see it. You see, when we're so full of ourselves, that is the time when we are the most vulnerable to temptation. Think about this. Listen and think about this. One of the highest points in Jesus' life is when he goes to the Jordan River and he's baptized by John, right? I mean, this is a high point. He's starting his ministry. He goes to John the Baptist. John baptizes him. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. A voice from heaven speaks and said, this is my son. This is the guy, right? I mean, this is an extraordinary high point. And what happens next? Jesus is driven into the wilderness, and the evil one shows up and tempts him. Why does the evil one show up at that precise moment? Because that's when he's the most vulnerable. That's when you're the most vulnerable. 
when we are so full of ourselves is when we are so vulnerable to fall and to fail. Paul says to the church in Corinth, who's used to a lot of failure, Paul says, if you think you are standing strong, be careful, be careful not to fall. Why does he say that? He knows this truth. When we're so full of ourselves, that is when we are most vulnerable. Now, this, just, this is not just a New Testament principle. This is throughout the Bible. If you go back into the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, book of wisdom, Proverbs says, pride goes where? Pride goes before destruction. What happened first? Full of yourself. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. And the Hebrew word there is to stumble or to stagger, to, to lose your path. We're talking about being on a path and becoming the person that God wants us to be. When we get full of ourselves, we get vulnerable to get off the path, to stagger, stumble in our growth in being that person God wants us to be. Just a few chapters later, chapter 18 of Proverbs, it says, Haughtiness goes before destruction. Humility precedes honor. By the way, don't you love that word, haughtiness? That kind of a cool word, haughtiness. Yeah, I think that's a cool word, sorry, right? It's kind of the superior attitude, right? It could never happen to me. I am so wonderful, right? Haughtiness goes before destruction, but what precedes honor? Humility. You see, as we become the person God wants us to be, we have to do that in humility, being God-confident, not necessarily self-confident. Uh, Paul has a great word uh, spoken to him that kind of highlights this truth. He's struggling in his own life, uh, and he's appealing to God, and uh, God comes back and speaks to him, and he says, Each time God said to me, My grace is all you need, my power works best where? My power works best in weakness. We're weakest. He's strongest. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. Humility precedes honor. As you become that person God wants you to be, as you're on that road, as God is working in your life, as your life is getting elevated, don't overestimate your own self-strength. Rely on Him. Okay, number two. Don't neglect private time uh, with Jesus. Now, you're going to hear this. Don't tune me out because you're going to be like, all right, here we go. That's an obvious one. Yes, it is, but it surprises me how many people don't do this when it makes such simple, simple sense. And it happened to Peter. So they're on their way. Jesus has told them, hey, you're going to deny me, Peter, you in particular, three times, okay? And they're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. It says, Jesus went uh, over to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, sit here while I go over there uh, to pray. What is Jesus going to do? He's going to go pray. Why is he going to go pray? Well, he is about to face the most difficult point in his life. He's going to be arrested, he's going to be beaten, he's going to be crucified. He is about to face the most challenging point in his life to be faithful. 
What does he do to prepare himself and equip himself and preserve himself so that he continues to be the son God wants him to be? He goes and he spends an hour with the Father. Right? How does he stay faithful? How, how does he get through that night? How does he get through the experiences out in front of him? He started it by making sure that he went and spent an hour with the Father. Now, he takes Peter, he takes James and John with him. These three guys get kind of this closer relationship and experience. He brings them along. They see his anguish. They see his distress. And he tells them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. All right, what's he asking for? Well, there's a couple of answers it could be, right? It could be on the one level that he's saying, hey, guys, just, uh, you know, they're going to come and arrest me in a little while, so just keep watch for the guards when they come. Be the lookout kind of people. That could be one answer. It uh, could be that he's saying, listen, uh, keep watch with me, meaning, you know, I just need you to pray for me. I need you to intercede for me. I'm about to go to the cross, so I really need you to talk to the Father too, right along with me. Could be that. At the minimum, can we all agree, at least, he's saying to Peter and the others, but to Peter, listen, just be attentive to me for an hour. Be in my presence for an hour. Just give me an hour of being focused and being present with me for an hour, right? That's kind of at the minimum. He's just asking Peter to give him an hour. Just be present and be focused on what's going on for this one hour. He returns after praying for a while. He returns the disciples. He finds them asleep. And he says to who? He says to Peter, don't miss that. He says to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? First time he caught him sleeping. Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? And then he bids him, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Now, don't miss this verse. We get a little further explanation of what keep watch is, right? Keep watch and pray. He includes that in there. Keep watch and pray. Now we know more of what Peter is being asked to do for an hour. Keep watch and pray. But there's an outcome that Jesus is seeking. Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. Have you ever thought about this question? What if Peter would have listened to what Jesus said and stayed awake for the rest of that hour? What if he would have stayed awake, kept watch, prayed just like Jesus was doing? What if he would have kept watch and prayed for the rest of that hour, do you think that the next hours would have gone different for Peter? That is an awesome question, isn't it? It is like the parallel question for you. What if you give Jesus an hour every single day? One hour a day. You got 24. What if you give Jesus one hour every single day? How will that potentially impact your ability to become the person that God wants you to be? 
Or how is that impeding you when you don't give him the hour of the day? How is that stopping you because you don't give him an hour a day of just being in his presence, just being attentive to Jesus for one hour in a day? How would your life be different as you grow to become the person that God wants you to be if you gave Jesus an hour a day? Peter couldn't do it. Jesus returns. And he finds them sleeping again two times. Finds them sleeping. So he goes away to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Shorter amount of time, but he says the same thing to Peter. Peter, keep watch and pray. Just keep watch and pray. Peter, listen to me. You're going to be stronger. Your life is going to be better. You're going to be stronger as a follower of me. Peter, just listen to me. Will you listen to me? Are you listening to me? Because some of you aren't doing this. And it's, it's, it's keeping you from being the person God wants you to be. I mean, this is like such common sense stuff, people. An hour a day. And Peter's next hours could have been extraordinarily different. But he can't do it. And Jesus comes back, and he finds him sleeping again. Look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of of sinners. Now, we give you this message, if you haven't noticed it, every week, every week at Christ Church. For those that are here every week, we give you that message every week, the importance of setting aside time to be attentive to Jesus. Uh, have you noticed it? It's not just in what we say, but when you walk in the door, when you walk in the front door, what is the first invitation you get at the chapel? Take some time. Be attentive with Jesus. There's people waiting to pray with you. And when you leave this morning, guess who's going to be waiting for you? People standing there waiting for you to take the time, be attentive, and pray. You see, we try to really practice what we preach around here to, to help you understand. It's so simple. It's so, so common sense simple to be the person that God wants you to be, you need to make sure you give him the time. Don't ignore that time with Jesus. Scripture even gives you the promise. You go back to the psalmist, right? He's living everyday life, and he understands this. And so the psalmist says, listen, those who are being that, that what God wants them to be, those who work, God's working in their life, they're growing. They have made God's law their own, so they will never slip from his path. What won't happen? They won't fail. They won't fail in being that person that God wants them to be. Don't fail. Don't ignore giving Jesus the time. Don't ignore it. All right, third one. Don't compromise faith to please others. Don't compromise faith to please others, right? This happens in Peter's life uh, because Jesus, of course, is arrested uh, in Gethsemane. Gethsemane is taken before the religious uh, leaders. Uh, Peter follows, uh, and he ends up in the courtyard uh, of the, the house that Jesus is now under arrest in. He ends up in the courtyard, and here's what happens. It says, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, 
a servant girl came over and said to him, you were one of those with Jesus the Galilean. Now notice who says this. What's her level? She is a servant girl. Okay, this is not a macho Roman centurion in full armor. This is nobody of any power at all. This is not one of the religious leaders on the Jewish ruling, ruling council. Who is this? A lowly servant girl. <laughs> Somebody who's under authority, not with authority. And when she questions Peter, Peter falls and fails. He denies it in front of everybody that's there, in front of everybody. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. First time, he denies. A servant girl, a servant girl can bring Peter to the point of compromising his faith. Here's a question. Who is the servant girl in your life? As you walk in faith, you try to become that person that God wants you to be. As God's working in your life, who is that servant girl that keeps poking you and prodding you and challenging you and keeps tempting you to compromise your faith in Jesus so you don't ripple the waters, so you don't upset the waves in any way? Who is it that somehow seems to always be there poking and prodding and getting you to be like Peter and compromise what you believe? You see, we all have them. They're out there in the world. Peter just went in the courtyard and the servant girl shows up. And it happens again. Now he's out by the gate. He moves a little bit. He's still around, but he's out by the gate now. He kind of withdraws a little bit. He's out by the gate. And another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Do you think by this point Jesus is getting tired of servant girls? Or Peter is getting tired of servant girls? Don't you think? Another servant girl. And the same thing. Only this time he elevates his denial. He takes an oath. Peter denied it this time with an oath. He says, I don't know the man. Second time. I don't know the guy. Now he gets even more emphatic in front of everybody. And here's the lesson. When we compromise our faith, everybody is watching. It may be a servant girl that gets us to compromise, but everybody is watching and taking note. How can I prove it? Right here. A little later, some of the other bystanders. No more servant girl. Now it's just the bystanders because they've already seen his compromise in faith. They've been watching. Two servant girls brought him to his knees, and now everybody else is watching, and that's all it takes. Everybody is watching us, and when we start compromising our faith and compromising our faith, what do they expect of us? They expect us to compromise our faith. And Peter gets even more emphatic, emphatic. He starts using vulgar words. He even brings a curse on himself. And he says, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. He compromises his faith because he's worried about the opinion and the outcome of others. How many times as God is growing into the person that you want to be, that He wants you to be, how many times do you have that temptation to compromise your faith? 
for a servant girl, for a bystander. Here's one for you. This is not a thus sayest the Lord. This is just, uh, just me, Bob, saying this. You know what amazes me in culture right now? As I look out there at the divisions and everything, here's what amazes me. It amazes me that we are willing to have arguments and stand by our politics more than we'll stand by our faith. Which one is going to bring you eternity? Which one is more valuable? But we will stand out there and we will argue and we will compromise relationships for the sake of our politics, but we will fold in our faith. Paul. Paul got the importance of this. He's a person growing, being that person God wants him to be. He gets this. He says, listen, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Christ's servants don't compromise their faith. We stand on our faith. We don't compromise Christ. We stand on Christ. We don't compromise the truth. We stand in the truth. Peter, three times, full of himself, I'll never, I'll never, I'll never, three times slept instead of giving Jesus his time and his presence. And three times the result is he denies. Now, if we ended there today, you'd be pretty depressed this week, right? That's a tough word. Yeah, 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 it really is. Let me give you some hope. One, come back next week because we do the do's, remember? But let me give you some hope. In Luke 22, before all this takes place, Jesus speaks to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, Peter, same thing. Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon Peter, that your faith should not fail. Same is true for us. The evil one wants to sift us like wheat. But we have somebody who has prayed for us, intercede, interceded for us, so our faith doesn't need to fail. Judas couldn't get this. Judas didn't get this. His faith failed. Peter, we're going to see, doesn't fail. Why doesn't Peter fail? Peter may fail in some of these compromises. He may fail in these don'ts. But he doesn't fail in his faith because Jesus doesn't fail him. That's the big word. While we may fail, while you may be sitting there this morning saying, man, I... That's really a heavy one. I, I have failed all over the place. Maybe. Here's the word. Jesus didn't fail. He didn't fail. He went through it all so we could know forgiveness. And when you come to the table today and in that bread and wine, he will not fail you. He will not fail you. When these kids get baptized this morning in that water and word, he will not fail. He will bring forgiveness and he will bring life so that we can have a life that he wants for us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thanks.
Thanks for being our security. Thanks for being our hope. Thanks for being our strength. Thank you. Thank you that you didn't fail. You didn't fail. And Lord, while we hear the challenge today of some don'ts, we know in the midst of that, uh, we have failed. And yet your love for us is constant. And today you invite us to come to the table and once again for you to work and say you're mine, you're forgiven. The opportunity is always before us to be that person that, that you want us to be, to keep growing every single day with every single hour. And so, Lord, we ask, we ask this morning, keep us humble, not full of ourselves. Keep us humble so that we can live a life that honors you. Lord, keep us attentive to you. Uh, at the minimum, for that hour a day, keep us attentive to you, praying, focusing, listening, knowing you, that it would change the priorities in our day. Lord, be with us and help us in those times when we falter and fail before others. Help us to think more about what you want and feel less about the pressure of what others think or desire. Lord, help us to keep answering that question, who do you want me to be? Who do you want me to be, Lord? Who do you want me to be every day and in five years from now? And keep us on that path. We ask it through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, we do.